All right, so we're going to talk about love styles. It's a Thursday night uh, in Oklahoma City, and I'm in a crowded conference room. Love styles, right? At the front, there's a guy with a white goatee and a polo shirt. Let me ask you something. His name is Scott Roby, and he's pointing at a slide with the image of a big, colorful heart on it. The heart's divided up into different quadrants, labeled with different love styles. There's do, be, give, encourage, talk, and touch. Those are the six different dimensions or love styles. And we all have all of these within us. But Scott says in every person, one or two love styles really rise to the top. Like if you're a doer, actions are an expression of love. Maybe cooking a meal, doing a chore of theirs that they typically do, doing a load of laundry. Oh, I said the L word, but yeah. You know, something like that. The audience is leaning in now. People are nudging each other, giving knowing looks when their love style comes up. Sensual touch, if it's really going to feed the love style and feed the relationship, it's not always about uh, landing the plane, if you know what I mean. Right? Scott's audience, mostly young or middle-aged professionals, are dressed in their business casual clothes, most headed to this room right after work. And everyone in here is either married or engaged. In fact, that's the whole reason why they're here. It's a free class called Forever For Real. Go make your forever for real. Open to any couple who lives in Oklahoma, a kind of marriage counseling 101 to help them improve their relationships and build strong marriages and dance to a little Al Green, draw pictures of what a modern marriage looks like. We're drawing a bicycle to show all the different phases of a relationship. Play goofy bonding games. I want you to stand knee to knee. Back to back, nose to cheek. All right, lips to lips, lips to lips. All right, you are now on break. We'll see you back in 10 minutes. At the break, over Chex Mix and pizza, I mingle with some of the couples. I'm Trey Martin. Trey works in biotech. His fiancée, Lori Radford, is a paralegal. They met online. They're getting married in April. Heard about this class at a bridal show. And as they've just discovered, they're quite compatible when it comes to love languages. Thank goodness. Touch. Bingo. Touch. <laughs> well, that's that's nice to have the same mm-hmm. language. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I should probably tell you what I'm doing here in this marriage class. I am actually newly married myself, and I think touch is probably one of my preferred love styles, too. Also, encouragement. But I was at this Forever For Real class in Oklahoma City for a different reason. To ask couples like Trey and Lori two questions. <laughs> Um, Okay, a question that is going to sound like it's out of left field, but there's a reason I'm asking it. How do you feel about government assistance and welfare in this country? Do we spend enough, too much, not enough? Lori did not skip a beat. I think too much. And you feel like too much why? Because I think that the people who receive it, a lot of those people don't try to go find jobs. A lot of them just sit at home and they're not looking to better themselves. And then I asked the second question. What if I told you that this class is funded by the welfare program? Trey and Lori look at each other and this kind of amused panic spreads over Trey's face. Oh my God, we're on welfare. (laughs) I never thought I'd be on welfare. Well, that's great. Welcome to the Uncertain Hour. 
where the things we fight the most about are the things we know the least about. I'm Chrissy Clark, senior correspondent for Marketplace's Wealth and Poverty Desk, and this podcast is all about making sense of making it in America. This season, we're going deep into one topic, one that sounds kind of wonky, but is fascinating, I promise. Welfare. Cash welfare for poor families. What exactly is it today? Who does it and doesn't it help? Because to understand our economy, we need to understand what we do for and about those with the least in it. In the last few episodes, and if you haven't listened to them yet, I suggest you do. Things will all make more sense that way. In the last few episodes, we've looked at the years leading up to welfare reform. This pivotal moment in 1996 when President Bill Clinton and Congress overhauled the old cash welfare system and created a new system. It had a new name, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF, and a new mission. One that emphasizes work and independence. At least according to the headlines and speeches of the time. Give people on welfare a chance to draw a paycheck, not a welfare check. On this episode, we have the truly strange story of what welfare has actually become since then. The story involves learning love languages, hoarding cough syrup, and four unassuming bullet points in a federal law. And I should say, whatever sort of stuff you might think welfare dollars go to now, 20 years after welfare reform, well, odds are... It isn't what you think at all. A tiny chunk of what we spend on welfare is spent on what people think of when they think of welfare. Where does the rest of the money go? You, you have any... Where does it go? I have no idea. I was aghast. <laughs> you know, I was just so surprised. Okay, so back to those marriage classes. Oklahoma is just one of many states across the country where federal welfare dollars are going to things that, well, even the people who are benefiting from them are surprised by, like that couple, Lori and Trey. Oh my God, we're on welfare. <laughs> or this couple. Neoka Ashley, I'm an Ashley recruiter. And I'm Polly Wanyaku, I'm an IT analyst at Chesapeake Energy. They were also in the Thursday night marriage class, funded by welfare dollars, or as they're officially known, TANF dollars. That stands for Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. Do you consider yourself a needy family? Um, in need of, like, maybe learning, but as far as benefits, no, we're pretty good. Mm -hmm. like financially, you're right. financially stable. What makes this use of TANF dollars so surprising in Oklahoma is that while the money is going to lots of families who don't consider themselves especially needy, the state's also full of families who are by any measure very needy but aren't getting any cash welfare at all. Families like Laura Grennan's. All right, we are back. <laughs> the same day I went to that marriage class, I met Laura. Gray sweatshirt, dark hair pulled back in a ponytail, pushing a double stroller, she was dropping her daughters off at preschool near where she lives in Tulsa. There's her daughter Angel, almost two. And Isis, who turned three on the 15th of January. That's Isis like the Egyptian goddess, not the Isis in all the headlines these days. I actually love uh, Egyptian mythology. Ancient history is my favorite, so I just picked the name kind of out of a hat, and I thought it was beautiful until, of course, all of the terrorist, um, you know, extremist group came out. But, you know, we work around it. Working around it is something Laura has had to become very good at in her life. Not just working around unfortunately timed baby names, but much harder stuff. 
Laura grew up in foster care, moved around a lot, dropped out of high school. By her mid-20s, she had found some stability. She'd gotten her GED, a series of jobs she liked. I'm kind of a, a Jill of all trades. I've worked in an eyeglasses lab. I've done retail. I was a tour guide at a couple different places where I'm from, Salem, Massachusetts, during Halloween, and it was, it was great. Oh, wait, the, the yes, oh yes. She was bringing in a steady, if modest, paycheck. She and her husband were expecting their first child. And then... <laughs> out it came, out the rug came, and then it's the downward spiral. It's one thing, and then you lose another thing, and you lose another, and it just keeps going. In Laura's case, that downward spiral started with her home getting condemned and ended with a messy breakup with her husband. Now she and her daughters are in Tulsa, trying to start over again. Um, I currently live at the Salvation Army with my my two children, um, just because we were really running out of options where to go at that point. Because we don't have a whole lot of family that could could, could help us out even for a month or so, so I could you know, we could get back on our feet. There is one other place you might expect Laura and her family to go in this situation while she tries to get back on her feet. The county welfare office. For many decades in this country, that's where families often turned when they were desperate. No money, no family to turn to for help. And in fact, Laura did go down to the local office to look into applying for cash welfare. She spoke to a caseworker there. And I said, well, I need to apply for TNF. And he turn around and said, no, you don't need to, you want to. Laura says between that embarrassment and all the hoops involved in applying, she decided to give up on cash welfare. I'm, I'm really trying to, to get a job um, on my own. Stories like these are common in many parts of the country today. Very few poor families actually receive any cash welfare anymore. Nationally, just 23 out of every 100 families who live below the poverty line. And in Oklahoma, it's even more extreme, just 7 out of every 100. That number's dropped by more than 80% in the two decades since welfare reform kicked in. Laura does get food stamps, but that only covers food, of course. And there's lots of other really basic stuff that you need to get by day to day that's not food. Like cough syrup. Cough medicine is very expensive, even for children. Um, so I try to put a squirrel a little bit away for a rainy day, but it hasn't always been successful. And it does get hard when you're down to your last dollar and it's, well, do I go buy a four pack of toilet paper or do I get cough syrup for my kids? And then there's soap, bus passes, diapers, tampons, clothes for the kids, winter coats. The phone, God forbid, you know, I need to take a taxi because it's an emergency. To complicate matters, without the cash to cover all those basic little things, it's hard to actually get a job. Your bus is late taking you to your job interview, you don't have clean clothes, the callback number on your resume might be a homeless shelter. It's really difficult on the, on the employment market. It's, it's a lot of explaining, which sometimes can, can take a toll more than more than most people realize. So let's put this all in a little perspective. Poor families like Laura's are not getting federal welfare dollars, but middle-class families looking for relationship help are. And that disconnect is happening across Oklahoma. So here are some recent numbers. In the state, in 2014, promoting marriage and preventing out-of-wedlock pregnancy takes up 5% of temporary assistance for needy family spending. 
That may not sound like much, but just a little more, 9%, goes to cash assistance for poor families. That's nearly $10 million on marriage and pregnancy prevention, and just about $18 million on what we think of when we think of welfare. I wondered what Laura Grennan, who was discouraged from applying for cash welfare, would think about all this. So I walked her through it. Um, yeah, as far as, as marriage counseling or c- classes, um, I don't know if that's the best way to spend a budget. I have a lot of questions, I think. And one is definitely the way that that budget is split up. So how did the welfare budget get split up this way? To understand, first let me give you just a brief refresher on some welfare reform history. One of the biggest ways that cash welfare changed under the sweeping reforms of 1996 is that the program went from an entitlement program to a system of state block grants. Under the old entitlement program, the federal government spent as much money on cash assistance each year as there were poor families who qualified for it, and the money pretty much went straight to those families. Under the new block grant system, the federal government sets aside a pot of money each year, $16.5 billion, never adjusted for inflation since 1996, and gives every state a chunk of that money, called a block grant. Here we have this pot. Luke Schaefer is a professor at the University of Michigan School of Social Work. He focuses on welfare policy. And we say to states, here's your chunk of it, and you can choose to use this money uh, for cash assistance, you know, a program that's not particularly popular. And if you do use that money for cash assistance, there will be all these requirements. Make sure a certain fraction of the people receiving the cash assistance are working, lots and lots of paperwork and reports. Or, or if you don't use the money for cash assistance, you can use it for pretty much anything else. There's virtually no oversight No oversight except those four bullet points I mentioned earlier. And I even printed them out so I wouldn't stumble, even though I know them by heart. (laughs) I printed them out so as not to stumble here. So this is Liz Schott, a senior fellow at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. She, for the last few years, has been obsessed with how and why states spend federal welfare money, your taxpayer money, like they do. And the answer is tucked in to the 1996 welfare reform bill, Title I, Section 103, under the heading labeled Purpose. And there are four purposes. First is providing assistance to needy families so children can be cared for in their homes. Starts off simple enough. That's kind of what the federal welfare program had always been about. That's really your basic cash welfare that we've been talking about. And then there's the second bullet point, the second purpose. Also, not that surprising. And the second purpose is about uh, promoting work preparation, getting parents connected to the workforce. And those two purposes really are what I think most thought that welfare reform was about. But then we get to purposes three and four, and things take a twist. The third purpose of TANF is preventing and reducing the incidence of -of out-of-wedlock pregnancies. That's right, out-of-wedlock pregnancies. And the fourth purpose? Well, it's sort of the other side of the coin to the third purpose. Encouraging the formation and the maintenance of two-parent families. 
These last two purposes, focusing on marriage and preventing out-of-wedlock pregnancies, had been pushed for years by Republican and Democratic welfare reformers who were alarmed by the rise of single-parent families, especially low-income families. But the fact that they became such an integral part of the goals of welfare reform, that did not make a lot of headlines in 1996 when the welfare reform bill was passed. President Clinton did not mention them in his Rose Garden speech when he signed the bill into law and said it was all about moving people from welfare to work. In fact, this emphasis on marriage and two-parent families and welfare reform legislation didn't even get much notice from policy wonks like Liz Schott at the time. You know, I don't think anyone really paid attention in 1996. You read a statute, you read a bill, and this happens to me when I read draft legislation. You know, there's all these whereas's, this whereas stuff at the front and this preamble language, and that's just blah, blah, blah. Well, here it turns out that that's it. That controls how the money can be spent. Because nowhere else in the bill had clear rules on how states could spend their block grants, those four purposes open the door to a whole world of possibility. Liz started to look more closely at just how each state spends that $16.5 billion allocated for needy families each year. She combed through the hundreds of annual reports that states have sent to the Fed since welfare reform, each one formatted in a slightly different way, describing, often in vague terms, where the money goes and which of the four purposes justifies the spending. When we started slicing them and dicing them and organizing them in in ways that we could look at patterns over time, we began to see uh, very dramatic patterns. One of the biggest patterns... Today, nationwide, just a quarter of welfare money is being spent on actual cash assistance for poor families. Less than a quarter is being spent on child care and work supports to help poor families find jobs. And as for the rest of the money, well, much of it is being spent on pretty much anything that might fit, even vaguely, under purposes three and four. Which brings us back to Oklahoma and this conference room. So here's what I want you to do. In your workbook, your fun book, I want you to, on 56... Where the teacher, who is paid by federal welfare dollars, is standing asking couples of various income brackets from working class to upper middle class. What do you think your top three love styles are? And then what do you think your least three love styles are? Welfare money in Oklahoma also goes to fund marketing campaigns with actors cuddling on the couch. Uh, Once we decided that we were ready to move forward in our relationship. To advertise those relationship classes. We know that our relationship won't always be easy, but it will be forever. Forever for real. Now relationships come with instructions. For more than a decade, tens of millions of dollars in welfare spending has been going to relationship classes and advertisements for relationship classes and discounts on marriage licenses to incentivize people to go to relationship classes. And this spending is surprising even to the people you'd think would already be in the loop about how welfare money is spent. I had never heard about it. Even as a legislator. Even as a legislator. It's surprising to Oklahoma State Representative Jeannie McDaniel. Who's on the Appropriations Committee. Committee, Doesn't know how the TANF dollars are spent. Right. That's true. I was 
aghast. <laughs> you know, I was so surprised. It's surprising to policy analysts like Devon Douglas of the Oklahoma Policy Institute. When I bring this up, you know, in conversation with my friends when I can't stop nerding out about my job. You know, there's kind of a quizzical look on their face and they think, oh, is the government like doing a matchmaking service? Like, does TANF help Tinder? Like, how does this work exactly? People just don't think that TANF is about getting people married. But for others in Oklahoma, this makes perfect sense. At the most basic level, a two-income family was more likely to take people out of poverty than a one-income family. Mary Myrick is the president of Public Strategies. It's the for-profit public relations firm that runs Oklahoma's marriage initiative and puts on these relationship classes. Since 2001, her company's received more than $70 million in welfare money to run the classes. The whole idea took hold in Oklahoma in the late 90s. A report commissioned by the state came out looking at why it had one of the lowest per capita incomes in the country. And it said all the things that an economic report would say that you have a hard time understanding, um, unless you're an economist. Kendi Cox also works at Public Strategies, running many of their relationship classes. She says at the end of the report, there was this one point that caught everyone's attention that focused on Oklahoma's high divorce rate. It said... You have too much divorce, too many out-of-wedlock births. And up until that point, nobody had really made the connection between divorce and the economy. This report came out right around the same time as welfare reform kicked in and the new system of block grants that states could use for anything that broadly fit those four bullet points, those four purposes. And so our governor at the time met with our Department of Human Services and said, why don't we use a very small portion of that money to try some innovative things to strengthen families as a way to say, you know, we spend in government so much time, so many resources dealing with the fallout of the family, perhaps we should do some things on the prevention side. And the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative was born. Today, they offer so many different classes targeted at so many different demographics, Kendi can barely keep track. And just give a laundry list of all the different programs that you guys offer. Oh, that, that would be a quiz that I, might, that I might fail. We have Forever For Real that is targeted to the needs of couples, whether they're engaged, married, seriously dating. We have the Spanish version of Forever For Real, which is Reali Para Siempre. I don't have that rolling of my R's down very well. There's also family expectations for soon-to-be parents and smart singles. Information and skills related to mate selection. We have Heart and Soul is a workshop uh, strategy that we have that's crafted toward the needs of African-American couples and individuals. And the list goes on. They have a K-12 initiative, a relationship workshop inside prisons. Some classes are focused on low-income people. But most are open to everyone, rich, poor, and in between. We're also providing an opportunity for anybody in the state of Oklahoma to access services that really can bolster not only their relationship, but their ability to stay self-sufficient and avoid poverty if they are, you know, middle-income people. 
But the fact that all of these programs are funded by welfare dollars, that's become a growing concern to state lawmakers, Democrats and Republicans, including State Representative Jeannie McDaniel. Having healthy marriages is a worthy goal. I, I understand kids need two parents. I support marriage. But at the same time, is this the best use of TANF funds? That's my bottom line question. I would rather see us give more support to getting jobs, getting trained for jobs. Many need transportation in a state without public transportation, and many need a roof over their head. On the Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, I think that it comes back to you have to have shelter, you have to have food, and you have to have training to support yourself or the skills you need to survive. And so I think we'd be better off concentrating our focus there. You might think that lawmakers in Oklahoma would already have a lot of involvement in where their own state concentrates its welfare spending, but they don't. That task falls to the administrators of the Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Jim Struby is the director of adult and family services there. He runs the cash assistance program in Oklahoma. And so I asked him. Does it concern you that so little money goes to basic assistance to direct cash assistance? Um, yes. Do you have more to say? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why? One of the things that I'm keenly aware of, particularly because I've worked in this line of work as long as I have, low-income families are up against obstacles um, that middle class and upper class, obviously, um, families don't ever have to deal with. And so any amount of uh, support we can give them, I think, is important. And uh, I, I don't know, in some cases, how people get by. I told him about the stories I'd heard from Laura Grennan and others who'd tried to sign up for welfare and been discouraged with comments like, you don't need it, you want it. He acknowledged this is a problem. Um, we're aware that out in some of our communities, there are workers who um, discourage participation in either um, with the kind of comment you said, or uh, they're just less than enthusiastic in the eligibility process. And as for the amount of welfare money Oklahoma spends on promoting marriage and healthy relationships, he said he thinks it's too much, given the need for basic cash assistance in the state. I have to say I'm surprised to hear you as somebody high up in, in the department saying that you don't think that your department spends enough on cash assistance. I'm surprised you're surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess just because if if anybody could could do something about it, wouldn't it wouldn't it be you and your department? Well, there are a lot of things to consider. I mean, one thing is that that we pay for a lot of other important things with TANF dollars. And that is the confusing, some would say infuriating, paradox that lies at the heart of how welfare spending is structured today, not just in Oklahoma, but across the country. That's kind of a shell game. Here's Luke Schaefer again from the University of Michigan. States are using their TANF dollars for all sorts of things. You think of of cash welfare, right? You think of it as a, a cash welfare program, a program that primarily gets money into the pockets of poor families with kids. 
Yet nationwide, only about 25% of federal welfare dollars actually goes to cash assistance. 75% is going to other stuff. You think of it as a, as a work program, right? It's supposed to support work, help families get jobs. I think less than 7% of all the dollars for the program goes to work-related programs. So all this other money is going to, to other stuff. In Oklahoma, that other stuff is things like marriage initiatives and foster care and disability services. And regardless of how worthy those programs might be... It's not at all what was intended by the program when it started. You have this beautiful federal grant money that doesn't have any strings attached to it, basically, is what TANF as a block grant is. That's Devon Douglas again with the Oklahoma Policy Institute. And so, yeah, it's the pretty money. And of course, everybody wants 5% of that. But we're, we're allowing people in our state to live in poverty because of just that 5%. Like, the devil's in the details. And 20 years after welfare reform, that kind of sums it up. The devil is in the details, as 5% here and 5% there gets funneled to other state programs. There's very little money that goes towards what we think of as welfare or work. Okay. Aaron, do you guys want to introduce this couple here for us? Zeke and Sasha. For Z Van and Sasha McKimble, the few percentages of TANF spending that goes to the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative has translated so far into a fun night once a week at a class called Family Expectations. It's one of the first chances they've gotten since their four-month-old daughter Zamora was born to take time to meet other new parents and get feedback on their relationship, which is pretty new. We were complete opposites. The two of you are complete yes. opposites attract, don't they? They say they do. Yeah. Very good. Well, welcome. <laughs> when I talked to them after their first class, they were into it. I think we're going to like all the advice. We do like the class. We love the class. And they think that strengthening their relationship might help them stay more financially secure. Z is a delivery guy for Papa John's Pizza. Before Sasha gave birth, she worked at McDonald's and 7-Eleven, but she quit to finish high school. The family does not get any cash welfare. And I asked them. Do you guys feel right now like you have enough to make ends meet? Like to pay all your bills every month? No, not at all. What about you? Mm-mm. Either we try to borrow, which we, we don't really like to do that a lot, yeah, but... We try to sell whatever we have when we get stuff. You sell, like, what have you sold? Baby, uh, baby formula that she can't drink because she drinks soy and we had regular... A few months after I first met Z and Sasha, I checked back in with them. Tell me what's new since um, since we talked last. Um, well, I'll tell you the good and the bad. The good news is that Zamora is starting to walk, so I'm extra super excited. Oh, wow. The bad is, is that me and Z are no longer together, and um, we're no longer living together either. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not what happens to everyone, of course. A study done early on in the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative found that a year and a half after people had gone through the new parents class, most of them did seem to have more stable relationships, though they were not doing any better financially. 
And then, a few months after we got back from reporting this story, Oklahoma announced in early May that it's going to reduce the amount of welfare money that goes to the Oklahoma Marriage Initiative and all the relationship classes. In the 15 years that the program has been going, the state's poverty rate has barely budged. Its marriage rate has continued to decline. But Public Strategies, the company that runs the initiative, has gotten more than $70 million of welfare money. That's it for this episode of The Uncertain Hour. We'll be back in two weeks with more. We'll be headed on a little cross-country tour to see some of the other unexpected ways states are spending their welfare money. Or, as some people call it, It's a big slush fund. If Michigan can justify paying for it with TANF, it will. And if you want to dig into how your state spends its welfare dollars, we have a really cool tool on our website that you can explore. That's at marketplace.org slash the uncertain hour. Thanks so much for listening to The Uncertain Hour from Marketplace's Wealth and Poverty Desk. I'm Chrissy Clark. The Uncertain Hour happens because of producer Caitlin Esch, associate producer Gina Delvac, senior editor Nancy Fargali, engineer Charlton Thorpe, Mark Miller is the managing editor, and Deborah Clark is the executive producer and vice president of Marketplace. Special thanks this week to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities for all their data crunching, and to the Marketplace data team, Paul Brent, Arjuna Soriano, and Tim Kellogg, and to Kathy Eden and Luke Schaefer and their incredible book, $2 a Day. Marketplace's wealth and poverty coverage is supported by the Ford Foundation. There will be more of The Uncertain Hour in two weeks. Oh, and thank you for all of the amazing reviews you've put into iTunes. They really help us continue the work we're doing, so please keep them coming. This is APM. So